Hey everybody, welcome to the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Yavoli. The Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast is about talking to people who have dedicated their life to the game of lacrosse and learning about who they are, how they got to where they are today, and what they do to improve themselves and their teams. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports, and if you're a coach or a parent, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. You can ditch the emails and spreadsheets. The free Game Changer Team Manager app streamlines communication, scheduling, and live scoring into one easy-to-use app. Game Changer Team Manager is 100% free for your entire team. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager or search for Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. Today on the show, we have Will Yateman. Will attended Notre Dame and Maryland. He played lacrosse and football at both schools. At Notre Dame, Will was first team all Great Western Lacrosse League and Rookie of the Year. He was also Honorable Mention All-American and National Freshman of the Year. He was a preseason second team All-American as a sophomore, but ended up not playing lacrosse that year. His junior year, he transferred to Maryland and was a significant contributor to the team for two years while also playing football. In 2010, he was selected to try out for the U.S. national team. He was signed as a rookie free agent by the New England Patriots. He played three years with the Miami Dolphins and one year with the Houston Texans. Will and I got a chance to talk about a lot of different things like his recruiting experience with both lacrosse and football, learning to play your role on a team, hard work and validation, his experience with the New England Patriots, learning mental toughness in the NFL, and much more. Here's my interview with Will Yateman. Will, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited to have you on. So uh, let's get started like I always do. How'd you get started playing lacrosse? From probably the age of one, I had a stick in my hands because my dad played lacrosse at the Naval Academy. My mom played lacrosse growing up. They're both from Annapolis, Maryland. So always had a stick in my hand. And then I was playing baseball in San Diego. We moved to San Diego when I was four. I loved baseball, but I always wanted to do what my dad did. And I asked, it was one summer I was visiting my grandparents and the rest of my family in Maryland. And one of my dad's high school teammate's sons was at a lacrosse camp. And I really wanted to play in it. And I never actually played organized lacrosse before. And I was too late to sign up for the camp and it was kind of like the last two days. So I didn't get to play. And that was going into third grade. Mm -hmm. And then I made a goal out of the next summer going to that camp. It was the Mount St. Joseph's lacrosse camp in Maryland. And uh, I played that summer. First time playing organized lacrosse. I was hooked. Hmm. The, The moment I first put up my equipment on and uh, I remember I won the best shot contest and coach Slaza was his name made a big deal out of uh, the kid all the way from San Diego California winning the best shot contest right and I had the time of my life and so that was going into fourth grade then I played baseball again that year but 
I remember I was so fascinated with the sport. I asked my dad if he would be willing, if there was any way that I could play. And I was too young to play on the middle school teams in San Diego. Hmm. So we started a lacrosse clinic that February. And the first year it was held at my high school, Ranch Renato High. We had 42 players and um, the rest was history. Wow. So, so uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about your lacrosse game in a second. But what other sports were you playing when you were growing up? Every sport you can imagine, I played, and I played religiously. I would have, like, different chapters throughout the year where I was obsessed with what one sport or the other. So I played – we obviously didn't have many ice rinks in San Diego, but I played roller hockey outside all the time. Hmm. I already said baseball, which I loved baseball. I loved football. I loved basketball. I played tennis. I played golf all the time we had a driving range near my house so i'd walk there and just hit balls by myself right i was a avid skateboarder i think i skateboarded every day from kind of like first grade all the way through eighth grade Hmm. so that was actually probably my main sport was skateboarding i surfed often bodyboarded often so the beauty of San Diego is it's literally 75 and sunny every day. So we were outside <laughs> right. all day long. And once we got our homework done, it was time to go play sports and whatever sport it was. Right, right. So uh, so help me set this up. You, uh, you're playing every sport that you possibly can. Then lacrosse comes around. And at this point, uh, did you know that your, you know, your mom and dad played lacrosse? Like, were you familiar with lacrosse at this point or, uh, like how did you come yes, across it? Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. So my dad, I told you, he played at the Naval Academy. His, his older brother played lacrosse at North Carolina. My uncle played at UMBC and, um, you know, just being in from a Maryland based family that you were always exposed to the sport. I had just never played it. So, the idea of lacrosse was always ingrained in my brain. And when I was younger, my, we, I actually lived on the grounds of the Naval Academy when we moved. I was born in Italy. We moved back to Annapolis. I li- we lived there for a, a little over a year. And my dad coached the Naval Academy plebe team. So I'd go watch those practices. And then we moved up to Brunswick, Maine for a year. And my dad coached at Bowden College. And he also volunteered at a, um, a high school in the area. And then moving to San Diego, was there was just no lacrosse anywhere. And that was kind of from kindergarten until fourth grade. I didn't play at all, but I always wanted to. Mm-hmm. And then so once your dad starts up this, this clinic, was it? Uh, did you fall in love with it right away? Oh, immediately. I think... My dad always says any kid that plays lacrosse is going to fall in love with it. And a few years into him he, him coaching his clinics, I corrected him. I said, from what I've understood, any good athlete that plays lacrosse is going to fall in love with it. Um, you can't necessarily be a kid that sits on the couch playing video games and goes out and plays lacrosse is going to, and going to love it. But right. I was immediately fascinated with the game. Like I said, I'd had a stick in my hand, so my stick skills were there. And then from there on, it was just becoming more familiar with the sport. And it was love at first sight, truly. And that first camp playing at Mount St. Joe, I was hooked. And so at what point did lacrosse stand out to you as the thing that you 
wanted to play at the next level? Probably watching Final Fours because in San Diego, we didn't have lacrosse on television throughout the year. Right. And sometimes my, my grandparents would send me VHS recordings of different games that had been played, and they were like on you know ABC2 Sports, like Baltimore's channel, where they would have local games, or like Maryland Hopkins, Navy Hopkins, Maryland-Virginia games, and they would send those, and I would watch those religiously. And actually, my dad had these VHS recordings of the Gate Brothers in Syracuse in the late 80s, and 1990 in their final fours so i'd watch those all the time Mm -hmm. so from a pretty young age i i really wanted to do it um and that was always my goal so a lot of guys say you know did you always dream of playing in the nfl not to fast forward or anything but i always said no my dream was just to play cop ncaa division one college lacrosse right right so if you, if you can talk a little bit about your recruiting experience in high school because i am i am curious about like you were always focused on on lacrosse you were in love with lacrosse how did uh you know how did how did football come into play tell, tell us a little bit about that so naturally there weren't a lot of coaches back in the early 2000s coming to the west coast to recruit talent and i didn't even know how i would compare quite frankly to east coast lacrosse players when i was in eighth grade our san diego lacrosse all-star team went to university of massachusetts and played in a festival up there and we performed really well and actually, a lot of the guys from that team were kind of the first wave of San Diegans to play D1 Lax. I would say probably 10 guys from that team of like 20 guys played Division One lacrosse. And I think we were all kind of like, all right, well, we can hang with these East Coasters. We just dominated that team from Massachusetts or upstate <laughs> New York. Um, and then... It was going into, so I was always playing football throughout the summer and not, you know, I didn't have the opportunity to travel that much, but I would always try to go to different camps. And my older brother, his two friends and I played at a Naval Academy camp when I was going into ninth grade mm-hmm. and I made the all-star team at the camp and I performed really well and had a bunch of points in the all-star game. And that was against kind of older East Coast guys. So I knew that that was kind of, okay, I can play with quality talent. And then from there, I went, I guess, going into my, you know, I had a really good freshman year. I was all CIF and all county, and um, but I didn't go to any camps that going into my sophomore year. Oh, you know what? Actually, I did. I went to... Um, I didn't go to any camps. Uh, I guess it's a tournament, but they call it it's champ camp. And I played with St. Mary's from Annapolis. And that was a team coached by Matt Hogan. And I remember I performed fairly well, but I had separated the hell out of my shoulder in a passing league tournament in football. So I couldn't, I wasn't as effective, but I still had a good champ camp. And uh, I I remember receiving a recruiting letter from Delaware and I was through the roof with excitement. (laughs) Um, Just like, Oh my gosh, there's one school in the country that I could potentially play D1 lacrosse at. Uh And then 
going into my junior year, well, you know, in my sophomore year in football, I had a really good year and I was all league and all county. Um, and that was a big deal. And we had a really tough conference in San Diego. It's called the Palomar League, North County. A lot of guys play, go on to play Division One, and several played in the NFL. So right. that was a big deal. And then it was kind of like, all right, well, I guess I'm playing football. And going into my junior year, at that time, a lot of guys, even then, were already committing to colleges. And I went to the Maryland lacrosse camp because that was my dream school is Maryland or North Carolina. And um, I performed really well. I got camp MVP at Maryland and North Carolina. And both of those schools started recruiting me right then and there. Hmm. And also Yale started recruiting me because one of the coaches who was a Maryland alum was coaching at Yale at the time. So that was just like the biggest most gratifying thing in my life, just having the opportunity to potentially go play at one of those elite programs. Right. And you said and this, then, was, this was after your junior year of high school? No, it was going into my junior year. Going into your junior and year. The, yeah. And there was a, a, one of my really close friends is named Matt Drennan and he's a year older than I am. Started playing lacrosse around the same time that I did was an unbelievable football player as well. And he went out to top 205 and dominated and got recruited by everyone. Hmm. And that was like, we were both, I was so fired up from that, but he got offered a scholarship from tons of different schools and ended up going to Johns Hopkins. And once Hopkins, once he committed to Hopkins, he sent them game tape of a number of different games. And that was when, Coach Petramala and Coach Tierney and Coach Dewan started recruiting me heavily to Hopkins. So over the course of a four-month period, I went from not getting recruited nearly at all, besides getting a recruiting letter from Delaware, to right. having four of the top programs in the nation come after me pretty heavily. Right, right. And, and then, go ahead. yeah, so to fast forward, so I was obviously elated with that. But I was also a football player and, you know, I didn't know how. The other thing is you, there's not a lot of advice that you can receive outside of the recruiting stories that Matt had and the coaches that you're talking to. Mm -hmm. The timeline then was significantly different than it is now. But my junior year in football, I had a really good year. And still at that point, it was kind of, all right, I'd like to play lacrosse. But... Mm -hmm. In Feb, I don't know what date it is, but I think it's February 1st of a recruit's junior year. You can start receiving offers. Mm -hmm. So February 1st, I received an offer for for football from Arizona. Then the next day, I next morning, I received an offer from Nebraska, San Diego State, Arizona State, Colorado State, and Colorado. So it was like, holy crap! All these offers are, you know, are coming. It in. was mind boggling in one day and. Looking back at it, it's got to be one of the more, more joyful times of any recruit's life to be able to be, you know, to be appreciated and it kind of validates the hard work and dream that you've had. Right. Just to have the opportunity not to go to just an elite school or program, but to go to college. Right. Um, and, and to go to college for free is um, pretty amazing, too. So 
throughout the course of that first week of recruiting and a lot of different football recruits will tell you, you, you know, you, it's like just this mass influx of schools recruiting you. And I'll never forget uh, walking down the hall and Ron English was a Michigan defensive coordinator. And I was walking with my girlfriend who um, had Michigan family ties and this big dude in a Michigan letterman jacket walks up to me and literally the night before I said, well, dad, if I am just going to play college football, maybe I should zero in on a uh, big 10 school or something right. like that. So, so I went, so that day it was like, it was literally the next morning I'm walking down campus and Ron English walks up to me and he says, Hey, Will, um, you want to come to Michigan, you'll get one of these. And it was a big 10 championship ring. And I was like, <laughs> no way. And he said, I just saw your tape. We were recruiting another guy in the area who went to that, you know, a rival high school. And I remember just thinking, man, that is so cool. It was like, it was like a movie for me. Right. Yeah, um, that's unbelievable. And then from there, I, uh, I received offers from most pack pack 10 schools, or I guess pack 12. Now mm-hmm. a lot of big 10 schools, mountain West schools, and then um, kind of filtered over to ACC and some SEC schools. So gotcha. that was kind of the transgression of how everything took place. Mm-hmm. And after I started getting, you know, there was a significant interest in my football ability. Lacrosse schools who had recruited me initially started saying, well, you can play football here too. And they gotcha. sent my football game tape to the football coaches and a lot of the lacrosse coaches ended up or the football programs ended up offering me scholarships rather than have it be a lacrosse scholarship. It was a football scholarship. Gotcha. So that was a kind of the beginning of everything. And, and then going into my senior year, I was pretty much, all right, well, I'm just going to play football. I'm going to go to USC, UCLA, Michigan or Nebraska were probably, you know, kind of what I was zeroing in on. And I, but I did want to go to the blue Jake Reed's blue chip camp. So we, I went there and I performed well. And I met so many of these great East coast lacrosse guys that you read about. And I'd never been exposed to such a prominent lacrosse culture of so many terrific players. And at the time of my life and Afterwards, July 1st, I think, was when you could receive phone calls from coaches right. and in and, and lacrosse. And I remember I left my cell phone in my car July 1st. I didn't even know, you know, I didn't know I was going to be able to receive phone calls from coaches July 1st. <laughs> right. And I went to my car for the first time at like 11 in the morning and... I had received, I want to say, 18 voicemails from different Division One lacrosse coaches <laughs> expressing their interest in me. And then at, that was the point where I said, all right, geez, well, maybe I can pursue the dream of playing both, both sports in school. Right. So, so what was it that made you decide uh, to start on Notre Dame? So... After vetting all throughout through all of that, it was my older brother went to USC, so that was always the one in the back of my mind where I was like, "Geez, if I just play football, 
I'll probably go here because as a San Diego kid, that was the creme de la creme football program to go to. Right. It was in the height of USC's prominence, and Pete Carroll was the coach to get recruited by. And he visited my high school twice hmm. my junior year. And his wow. son came to my – his son was the tight ends coach, which I was a tight end in high school, and his son came to my – two of my lacrosse teams. So that meant a lot to me. And that's like, that's a tough thing to look away from. So that was the one school where I was strongly considering it. Well, what's the program that has a really good lacrosse program, but also a similar historic football program. And that was Notre Dame football. So that's kind of fast forwarding, but the way that it worked was coach Corgan said, um, and Notre Dame at the time, they, my year, my class is the number one recruiting class in the nation. They recruited a five-star tight end. So they didn't necessarily like need me to go there. And it wasn't like they recruited me really heavily. Right. But Coach Corgan and I formed a really good relationship throughout the recruiting process. And they offered me a full scholarship to play lacrosse there which meant the world to me. And I knew that that didn't happen very often with the amount of scholarships allotted per program. Right. So they held on to the lacrosse scholarship and throughout the course of the recruiting cycle, I, my dream was Maryland and um, coach Friedgen and the tight ends coach, Ray Rosleski coach Rosleski was at my, dinner table dinner table on Maryland's bye week my senior year and I told my mom like all right I think this is the night I'm gonna commit and he told me I couldn't play lacrosse at Maryland he said I don't see you playing at Maryland and I was kind of like well what the heck um that wasn't really the agreement that we all came upon early in this process John Bunting I had such a great official visit to North Carolina and they recruited me for both. And my, um, my host was a guy named Matt Baker who played lacrosse at brother rice. He was a starting quarterback of the Carolina program at the time. And he was my host and he hung out with the lacrosse team and football team. So that was a very synergetic visit. And I thought the world of everything. And, um, the next morning, John Bunting was the head coach at the time. He drove me around Chapel Hill. He drove me to his house. Just he and his wife, we had coffee. And he said, we see you being our starting tight end as a freshman. With that being said, I don't really anticipate you playing lacrosse your freshman year. Hmm. So that took care of that. Right. Duke had offered me, had recruited me really hard and I'm I've always so grateful for the time that I spent with coach Pressler <laughs> and um, the whole football pro well the lacrosse program but also the football program and the vested interest that they showed me but at the time Duke wasn't necessarily a prominent football program and I just at that time was getting recruited by other top tier schools and I didn't feel like going there. So I kind of checked that box. So right. not to take anything away from the amazing school and the amazing experiences I had at Notre Dame, but also it was, all right, well, this is clearly the perfect fit. I had a great official visit. I had a great rapport with the entire team and um, 
and it was still a lacrosse opportunity where I could play football. Right. So I committed to Notre Dame, and then Coach Weiss called me one morning when I was walking into class, and he said, Will, you know, we've been watching your game tape. We think you can play as a true freshman. We'd like to put you on a football scholarship this year. And I was obviously appreciative, but very apprehensive too, because I'd just gone through all that with the other football programs. Right. So I said, that's, that's amazing under one, the only circumstances that you honor my commitment to the lacrosse program. And I, I get to play there and you don't take anything away from that. And then it all, it all worked out when I went there and, um, it was a great time when I was there. So, and, and, and obviously I fast forward my career and what happened at Notre Dame happened. And I was able to kind of fulfill my dream of playing lacrosse and football at Maryland. And that was the time of my life as well. And I'm exceptionally blessed to have had the opportunity to play not just two different collegiate sports programs but four and build relationships with the coaching staffs support staffs and teammates of programs right right it was a pretty cool experience and two pretty different ones at the the same right right yeah can can you talk about how that opportunity came up at maryland because if i if I heard you correctly, uh, Maryland was on the table at first when you were trying to commit, uh, you know, as a as a, a senior or a junior in high school. Um, but you weren't going to be able to play both. And then when you transferred your junior year, you did transfer into both the football and lacrosse program. How, how did that how did that come about? Well, actually, I I was tired of playing football um, hmm. and I. I didn't really know if I wanted to continue playing when I transferred to Maryland. So I transferred to Maryland and I was just a lacrosse player just and lacrosse. it was huh. phenomenal, just lacrosse. And, and that what to me was a really cool time because I was the first time I wasn't playing two sports. I met some of the guys on the football program and I liked them, but it was just me being a lacrosse player, not having as busy or hectic a schedule with dealing with two different sports and then over the course of that kind of year in change away from football, it rekindled my love for the game. Hmm. And Maryland had a pretty bad year, the, the year that I didn't play football there. And I just thought, A, I can really help this team, but B, I would like to keep playing. Um, you know, I, I want to see what it's like to play at this program and see how I can help the team and see when I was a freshman at Notre Dame, my tight ends coach, Bernie Parmley told me, Will, you've got what it takes to play football at the next level. And that always resonated with me and kind of stuck in the back of my head. And Bernie was a guy who played in the NFL for 11 years. So right. his, that word carried a lot of weight. And from so, so then I went and played at Maryland. I was starting. I broke my index finger and I had to have surgery on it and couldn't play the first three or four games, which stunk. And the next three games, I had to play with a cast. And then I kind of got better throughout the season. 
And this is your senior enough before it. This is yeah, your, so that was senior. my fifth year senior year. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. exactly. So it was my last year. And interestingly enough, when NFL scouts were grading my film and looking at my my style of play, I had really fallen off as a football player and the quality of product I was putting on tape at Maryland as good at games as I had in some stances, instances, um, I was not nearly as good as what I was at Notre Dame. My technique had gone to shit and um, my footwork was bad. My hands were, my hands were, I always, I always could catch the ball, but um, so that was, uh, it was interesting to look back at it. So I thought I should have been drafted, but after having played in the NFL for five years, and especially after understanding the caliber of player and the coaching that you receive, Mm-hmm. I didn't deserve to be drafted, quite frankly. So I, I definitely want to ask you a little bit more about that in a second. But uh, what I'm curious about is uh, your game that year, that first year when you went to Maryland and you had stopped playing football. And it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, for the first time in your entire life, you are solely focused on lacrosse. Um, how did your game... Uh, what changed about your game that year, right? I mean, I would imagine, you know, especially if you're not playing football, I mean, I would imagine you must have, you must have lost weight, focused more on like speed and agility or, or, or what, what was different about that season now that you're just focusing on one sport and it's lacrosse? I think, yeah, I certainly lost weight. I was as skinny as I'd been since high school. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that was necessarily a good thing. I don't think that lacrosse players should lift weights the way that football players do. But my freshman year at Notre Dame, I had a really good season and I was lifting. I was doing the football list throughout the season, keeping my strength up. And I was still really skinny that year because I was just running around and exercising so much, but I was maintaining that strength. So by the time I was ready to go back and start lifting weights for football, I bulked up within like two or three weeks. So, um, I think my, you know, my game was pretty similar to the way it's always been. I feel like I'm a, I'm a pretty cerebral lacrosse player and have good vision of the field. A lot of people see me and immediately assume I was a defenseman, then immediately assume I was a crease attackman. And I always say neither of those are the case. I was actually an ambidextrous dodging attackman. Right. And, uh, but my the way, you know, my, I, I think the difference between being at Notre Dame and being at Maryland was at Notre Dame, I was kind of the go-to guy with the ball and my stick on offense a lot of the time. Yeah. I wouldn't say the majority of the time because there were so many different talented guys, but um, I initiated the offense pretty often. Mm-hmm. And at Maryland, at the time, there was just such an array of phenomenal lacrosse players and everyone could take a guy to the rack. So that changes. So all of a sudden you're off ball more. And that was a part of my game that I needed to learn significantly was my off ball, not the movement or flow of the offense, but the ability to cut to the crease or cut and get open and finish a quick stick goal rather than a dodging goal or a drive and dump. So that was the big, component that had changed certainly and if you if you can remember what did you do to work on that skill um i 
I remember Coach Cottle, we were playing Duke. It was week, probably week three of the season. And he was like, I need, I, you need to get at least two off-ball goals this week. You haven't gotten an off-ball goal yet. And I got two off-ball goals that week. And I was like <laughs> cutting like a bat out of hell to different spots of the field to try to um, find a little crease to score. But right. that's also a, a byproduct of growing up in California and playing amongst a bunch of players who quite frankly, didn't have good stick skills and couldn't take the ball to the rack and the ball should have been in my stick. And then going to Notre Dame where I was still the initiator. And then that off ball game, that was certainly the biggest changing dynamic of my game. And one that I, I would imagine a lot of different high schoolers going into college have to learn because all of a sudden the X isn't on their back. Absolutely. That's, I mean, I I had to learn that my my freshman year. I mean, same deal as you when I'm in high school for basically, you know, two or three years of high school uh, varsity lacrosse. I had the ball on my stick, you know, 60% of the time uh, we were on offense. And uh, and by the time I got to Virginia, I had, you know, one of the greatest feeders of all time in Connor Gill, who was a senior when I was a freshman. Right. And all of a sudden I yeah. I had to be like, all right, you know what? I'm not going to carry the ball anymore. I need to figure out how to, <laughs> how to put the ball in the back of the net. Um, so uh, you're absolutely right. right. I know exactly what you're talking about. Which is shows how versatile of a player you are and were. And uh, yeah, it's good coaching. And that's part of, part of learning lacrosse and going into the next level is, is that to a T. And I hadn't yet really adapted that now I think part of it at Notre Dame we had a lot of set offenses and you moved in the right direction and you were told to go to this point of the field and move here and you were backside and one guy was initiating you two switched so there was a place to be and some part of Maryland's offense was a little bit more free-flowing and kind of figure out where you should be so um but that that I think that was the biggest adjustment Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, so I'm keeping my eye on the clock. Uh, and I, and I definitely, I do want to talk about your time in the NFL. Um, so let's, uh, let's jump there real quick. And then, and then I, I want to make sure that we talk about Pacific lacrosse. Um, but so, so tell us about your time. Uh, you know, when you get that call from the new England Patriots, tell us about the time about, uh, you know, how you ended up playing for them? So it was a lockout year. I'd gone home and trained in San Diego and thought that I was going to be drafted. I wasn't. I said earlier that, you know, maybe I didn't deserve to be drafted. I absolutely deserved to be drafted. And if you fast forward it, I was the guy that made the team. Other guys didn't make the team, right? So I shouldn't say I didn't deserve to be drafted, but I totally thought that I deserved it at the time. Right. And I, I didn't even know the lockout was over. There was a lot of rumblings in the news that it could be coming to an end and the new collective bargaining agreement was closing. But Coach Belichick called me and um, basically just told me flat out, hey, we didn't think that you were ready to be drafted. We think really highly of you. I know more about you 
as a scouted player than just about anyone I've ever scouted because I know Coach Friedman personally. <laughs> Coach Weiss, Weiss was on his staff for years and won three Super Bowls with him. Right. He went to high school with Dave Slavkovsky, my Maryland defensive coordinator in lacrosse, mm-hmm. and he knew Coach Corrigan as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and he knew Coach Petramala, and Coach Petramala had recruited me to Hopkins. So that was a pretty small world and a pretty cool connectivity of all my different coaches and coaches I'd had experiences with. Right. And on, on top of that, he grew up in Annapolis, and so did so did my parents. And my dad's a Naval Academy dad, guy. Mm-hmm. His dad went to the Navy or coached at the Naval Academy for years. So right. that was obviously pretty synergetic. But on top of that they offered me a really good package as an undrafted free agent. And he said, we believe in you. We want to develop you. We think you absolutely have what it takes. We don't think that you were ready to be drafted yet, but we did draft a guy and we want you to duke it out with him in training camp because they drafted a different tight end in the late round. And I was like, geez, that was my pick. I thought it would be that pick. Right. So from there, we, uh, I, you know, that was the first call I got. And I remember my wife probably didn't know any girlfriend at the time, but pro- my wife probably didn't know any NFL coaches names other than coach Belichick. And he called me and I said, Oh, hi coach Belichick. And she was like, she was freaking out, jumping on the couch, <laughs> waiting for me to tell her what, what was happening. Right. And then I received phone calls from 18 different general managers or head coaches. Wow. which was overwhelming, really positive. And over the course of that day, I was on the phone with my agents extensively calling him, touching base, which teams that he call or had called him. And it just seemed like a really good fit to go to New England. So I did. And I worked my tail off. I played, I thought, really well in training camp. And... To fast forward to the end of training camp, I was the last guy cut from the team that summer. They had, that was the year they were undefeated um, for the first, whatever, 17 games of the season. And he said, I think we've got the best team in football. um, And you should absolutely not hang your head. I hope that we can sign sign you to our practice squad. But with that being said, you had a really good camp and you performed well in the preseason games. So um, hopefully we can get you back and you clear waivers. But the way the waiver wire works is a team, I'm fairly certain the team with the highest draft pick from the year before gets the first claim and the Dolphins had the first claim. And um, within an hour, I was on the Dolphins. And that, that's how you ended up in Miami? My, hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, so that's I, uh, the unceremonious yet ceremonious way of going from New England to South <laughs> to, Florida to the Miami Dolphins. Um, so, so I'm curious, and, and I, I wanna, I definitely want to learn about you know your time in Miami and Houston as well. Um, but there, there's one thing that you said, uh, you know, when you were, uh, you're looking back at your tape uh, from your, I guess your fifth year at Maryland, and you know, you said now when you look back, you say, yeah, I understand how much. Um, you know, how much I had lost from that one year off, like what I was missing from that one year off of, of football. If you can, can you talk about, um, like, what did you learn when you were, uh, you know, playing for the New England Patriots or uh, at the Miami Dolphins? Like, what was it that, uh, you know, 
sort of woke you up and, and made you say like, or made you realize like, Oh, this is what it's like playing at a professional level. Um, well, they, it started with my stance. So think about that. It's literally the stance that you are in and being able to get in and out of a run blocking position, a pass blocking position or a, um, route running position and a stance that looks neutral as a tight end. That's difficult. Your mm-hmm. feet need to be flat on the ground, your back, your butt needs to be up a little bit higher right. and you need to keep your weight evenly distributed. So in, in college, I was always on the toes in my stance, which mm-hmm. makes it more difficult to down block. Your footwork's not as compact. Thus the power that you, de- you deliver into each block isn't as substantial. Mm-hmm. So that was the first component, just my stance. Right. Let's figure this out. Let's do this before every practice mm-hmm. and make it a habit and do it thousands of times. Hmm. So I got, I got that down pretty pat. And then from there, it's just the coaching is on a different level too. And you're getting critiqued on a daily basis from coaches that have been doing it for <clears throat> decades. Right. So that was, that was the, the first thing. And then the second thing is, Understanding a playbook is complex, but also the reality of the fact that if you don't learn this thing, you will not be here another day. You won't even be here another play. So it's working tirelessly and taking care of your body. And at that time, I didn't know whether the teams wanted me to be a tackle or a tight end. So I went into, during that walkout, I stayed at 280 pounds where my tight end weight was, you know, 265. Mm-hmm. But if a team wanted me to be a tackle and I'll, you know, what if every team called me and said, we want you to be a tackle. I couldn't have been 260, 265. Right. So I, I said, I'll be 280. So sure enough, most teams called and said they wanted me to be a tight end mm-hmm. and I had to drop weight and I went down to, I think I was down to 268 and they, you know, and I, went on the elliptical treadmill stairmaster bike every morning at 6 a.m. or 5:30 a.m. and every night at 9:30 p.m. and what i learned most of all that experience in that training camp was mental toughness because i was so tired at first and i thought it was almost not fair that i was working out an hour and a half longer than my peers every day Right. I was still playing well. But I had to lose this weight. I was eating less. And then over the course of time, I got stronger and I was performing better and I was in better shape hmm. over the course of that seven week period. So that was a big learning experience for me, just mental toughness and the fact that if you want to be in the NFL and you want to make a team in the NFL, you've got to work your tail off from dusk till dawn and you're not looking on Facebook or social media. None of that mattered to me. It was all about making an NFL squad and, right, um, right. and what, what more inspiring a place than new England to do so. Right. So absolutely. Was, yeah. Those are the two big things. And then the other component of going to an NFL locker room is the caliber of athlete that you encounter on an every second basis is 
through the roof. And sure, I went to Notre Dame and had, and played with the number one recruiting class in the nation. You know how many of those guys played in an NFL game out of 26? Four. Out of the number one recruiting class in the nation, four guys. And of us four, how many made it longer than two years? Just two. So you then you look at the guys in that locker room, and one pretty substantial adjustment was the egos that are in there. And if you think about it, a lot of these guys are the best athletes in their respective towns, high schools, right. colleges. And they're pretty cocky dudes. So I had to adjust on, you know, just sticking up for myself and talking trash back to him. I was always a pretty quiet guy. And then I got to the NFL and uh, quickly realized I've got to stick up for myself. And I did that. Yeah, you, you got to chirp back and be quick on your toes. And right. I did that. And I appreciate those experiences now in the business world. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, so so you, you actually feel like the, uh, uh, the trash talking helped you now, uh, in what you do today? Oh, without question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just, you just always thinking on your feet. Right. Right. Gotcha. I really appreciate that. And, and in Miami of all places, the superficiality and fast paced style of that city and the culture, um, that was, it was a eye-opening experience when you, you're all of a sudden playing with you know 53 22 to 32 year old millionaires um right. and <laughs> wouldn't take that back for the world and right that was one of the best times of my life that's awesome um so uh i'm keeping my eye on the clock i, I want to jump ahead i, I do want to talk about um pacific lacrosse um tell us about pacific lacrosse what's that well, Pacific Lacrosse started, it's an entity that my dad started that first clinic back in 1998 when there were 42 players. And he has stuck true to his guns and always has been of the belief that anyone should be able to pick up a lacrosse stick and play no matter the background or, you know, family financial situation particularly. So... No matter where a kid's from, he's always just, I felt, done the right thing. And it started with that clinic when we had 42 players. Three years later, had over 300 players. And the game was just exploding at that time. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, my dad had a winter clinic it started. And then he had a summer clinic and kind of a camp that was a little bit longer. And then he started a summer league. And then fast forward that to the to his festival and our family's festival, I should say, where it's never more than, you know, each clinic's never more than $50 a kid or $60 a kid. And there's so many of these tournament, tournaments this day and age where people are able to monetize the sport and make a significant financial gain by charging a kid an arm and a leg just to play the sport that they love. Right, And that's it's kind of sad for a kid to feel left out because the family can't afford to go to a tournament and play, right? Well, right. Um, my dad's festival every summer, I want to say it's, you know, just over, I don't want to say the number, but it's for 25 kids, it's not 
not very much per team. And um, I think it provides an opportunity for a lot of people to go to San Diego and play in an amazing family-run festival where you're not going to get much more tender love and care from everyone, from the supporting staff to the Yateman family and across the board. So that's kind of, and that's been his belief and our family's belief since we really got our clinic going in North County, San Diego in 1998. It was, everyone should be able to play this game. You don't have to buy equipment. We'll give you old gloves and an old stick and you can go out there. Even if you don't have elbow pads, go out there and go run around and uh, play the game that you'll eventually fall in love with. So it's something that I'm very proud of because I was there the inaugural year and I always used to set up shop with my dad and it was looking back at it, one of my favorite things to do growing up was waking up at 6.40 in the morning on Saturday and going to set up the field with my dad and then going to play in the clinics, then coaching the clinics, then coming home and coaching in the the camps or the clinics or helping out at the festival. And for the Yateman family, it's the one time of year where we're almost certainly all going to be together and uh, working at a festival around the game that we all love. So that's, that's awesome. the belief. In it's, uh, it's And I think it's a, just a really good thing. And I commend my dad for always sticking to his guns and um, let anyone can play. And that's, that's a really good thing. And it's not so bad when you get to play in San Diego, California either. Right. Right. Yeah. There's, there's, there's nothing worse than, uh, you know, not being able to participate, like you said, in something that you love just because you can't afford it. I think it's, it's a great thing that your dad does that your family does. Um, what's the, what's the URL for people who want to check it out? Packlax.org. P-A-C-L-A-X. Got it. Got it. And I will, I'll put it in the show notes um, for anybody who wants to check it out, but they should definitely check it out. I think it's a, it's a great thing that you guys do. Um, yeah. I well, mean, listen. I want to say our, our festival slash tournament, I, you know, it's had over 250 to 300 teams for the past couple of years. So it's done really well. And it's always a really fun place for everyone involved. That's awesome. Um, well, listen, Will, uh, you know, got my eye on the clock. Uh, I appreciate you coming on, but we got to do the last question that I've asked everybody who's come on. Um, what are three things that everyone should be doing every day to get better at whatever it is they do? It doesn't have to just be lacrosse. Three things everyone every day should do is love your family members and your support staff and tell them that you love them. Get enough rest every night because I get awfully snippy when I don't (laughs) and learn something every day. I think absolutely. And, uh, to tie a, a last asterisk on asterisk onto that end of the lacrosse world. I think if you're a young player playing, you know, evolving your game you should just always have a stick in your hand because Mm -hmm. when i was from when i started playing in fifth grade all the way through high school maybe there are a couple times on friday nights in football where i didn't have a stick in my hand but other than that 
I can't, I can't remember a day where I didn't have a lacrosse stick in my hand. And that's why even today when I'm 30 years old, I haven't played in a while, I can go pick up my stick and it feels like people say it's like riding a bike. I think it's easier than riding a bike. It's like right. part of my body. So <laughs> right. Um, that would be my other piece of advice to tie it up, tie it into the lacrosse discussion. That's awesome. Um, well, man, well, listen, uh, thanks a lot for taking the time and coming on the show. Every time I talk to you, I feel like we, like each conversation could be two and a half hours long. Um, but uh, yeah, well, we'll just have to do it again. Cause I can do it for another, <laughs> uh, next time we can do it for two and a half hours. You awesome. can ask me a million different questions. Yeah, yeah, I got, I got so much, man, but, but listen, thanks a lot for taking the time. I, uh, I really appreciate it. Hopefully we can get together soon and, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah. I appreciate you, Joe. You have a good one. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Uvoli. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Uvoli. You can find more episodes of the Game Changer Lacrosse Podcast on this season at thisseason.gc.com. If you like the podcast, please take a second to give it a positive review on iTunes. This helps more people find the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at GC Sports. And if you're a coach, a parent, or you run a travel or club team, check out Game Changer Team Manager in the App Store. It's an essential, all-in-one scheduling and communication app for lacrosse coaches and parents. Game Changer Team Manager is free, it's easy to use, and it doesn't serve ads. Learn more at gc.com forward slash team manager. Until next time... Keep working and keep getting better.